guys what's going on jared atkins coming to you here a little bit of uh, weeknight chronicles solo edition saturday night december 10th all by my lonesome about 11 30 in the evening and what hell what else am i gonna do right so let's get into it let's let's cover some uh sports news and i want to start by talking about hall of famer larry brown did you guys hear about larry so Larry is uh, a special advisor for Memphis basketball. No, not the Grizzlies. Memphis college ball. Who's head coach, and you got to remember something. I was born in 1987, and I've said it on social media. I say it here, the 90s was the best decade in world history. I'm a 90s kid. 90s basketball gets me excited. Penny Hardaway, baby. Penny Hardaway is the head coach at Memphis. Hall of Famer Larry Brown was a special advisor to the men's team. Uh, And he has stepped down from his role uh, over health concerns. Now, Penny Hardaway came out and issued a statement where he said, quote, We wish Coach Brown a speedy recovery. Having Coach Brown as part of our program over the last 18 months was very impactful on our student-athletes and me as a coach. And we all hope the best for him moving forward. Uh, Now, Brown took a leave of absence uh, last month or two months ago from the team. Now, what's interesting is Brown's 82 years of age. uh, And he's the only coach in both, or excuse me, he's the only coach to win both the NCAA championship back in the day, Kansas, in 1988. And he won one as the head coach. Can anybody can anybody tell me? 2004 Detroit Pistons. John C. Billups! Now, he coached Penny uh, back during the New York Nick days. And then he joined Penny Hardaway's staff in live last year as an assistant. And was named a special assistant to Hardaway before this season. Of course, Larry's got an impeccable resume. You know, he won 1,098 NBA games. Reached the playoffs 18 times over 26 seasons in the NBA. That's pretty fucking impressive. Now, his his NCAA title with Kansas uh, was among three Final Four appearances his teams made in the 80s, including one with, yes, UCLA. And, of course, he was inducted into the Naismith Hall of Fame back in 2002. So, uh, I haven't done any more research on this. I do vaguely remember seeing something about Coach Brown being uh ill um so of course you know thoughts and prayers go to him for a speedy recovery and uh this i got a feeling this could be the last time we ever see coach brown do anything in the public eye with basketball i mean the gentleman's 82 years old um so all the best well wishes go to coach brown okay since kurt's not here to uh, Kurt's not here to um, cancel me from doing this. Uh, we're going to touch a little bit on football. You know, the other football. The one that we don't talk on this show. Soccer. The same sport that I constantly shit on all the time. Uh, but I do want to mention something. Listen, I'm, I, you know, I'm not a big soccer guy. So, you know. I'll always take criticism or feedback about soccer, but uh, I want to cover this because of how important it is. In my mind, <clears throat> at 35 years of age, there's you know <clears throat> there's several goats that you could put in soccer contention. Uh, if you want to do a Mount Rushmore of men's soccer, uh, you know I think uh, at least three of the names that could potentially go on the the Mount Rushmore should you know. 
Cristiano Ronaldo, Lionel Messi. You can make a case for Neymar. Of course, everybody knows Pele. But uh, I want to talk about Cristiano Ronaldo. What little bit I know about soccer, and trust me, if you put up all the times I've watched soccer on TV together, you could put it up. It might be a combined, you know, three or four hours altogether. But if I had to pick a player, if there was a gun held in my head, say, hey, pick your favorite soccer player, it would probably be Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, and, uh, you know, the World Cup's going on right now. It's a big thing to apparently everybody but me and Kurt because we're not soccer fans. But um, Ronaldo... Uh, Portugal got beat today in uh, at, at the hands of Morocco. I believe it was uh, what, what? Where are we at right now, all you soccer fans? Where are we at? Uh, semifinals, quarterfinals? Where the fuck are we at? Whatever what it was, uh, Portugal got beat by uh, Morocco, and as Ronaldo was leaving off the field, you could see tears coming down his face. Uh, Real knows, to my knowledge, he's only a couple years older than me, so he's about 37, 38. This is probably, I would say, because this, ha- this event's like the Olympics. It only happens once every four, five, six years, right? The Olympics is every four, eight, the World Cup every four, five, six years. Uh, potentially, you're looking at this possibly being his last chance to basically win what I consider the equivalent of the Super Bowl for professional soccer. That's what the World Cup is, right? And uh, if that's the case, it's a sad ending. Uh, There's some stats I I dug up on this. You know, this was his 196th international appearance. That's uh, tied for most uh, in the men's game. You know, uh, he's the all-time leading scorer in international soccer with 118 goals. Uh, What's interesting, though, is that he left the field in tears. He didn't say anything about uh, his future, but at 37 years of age, it's only happening once. I mean, you guys out there that follow soccer might know, how often do you get 40-year-old guys playing soccer? I mean, is is it a big thing, you know? Does that happen? You know, you get 40-year-olds playing football. You get 40-year-olds playing basketball. Do you get 40, mid-40-year-olds playing soccer? Uh, Irregardless of of how this ends and how this goes down, whether he retires in the next few years or after this year or whatever, uh, yeah, so right here it says it'll be in 2026, so four years the World Cup will be in North America this time. Uh, it's likely going to be without him. So either way, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, um, congratulations on a storied career. And like I said, I I mean, I don't know near enough about soccer, but I tell you what, if I was building, if I was building a Mount Rushmore of soccer, uh, and here's where I always cheat. If you've got, if you guys have followed the show, when we do Mount Rushmores, I always cheat because I list the four faces and then I throw a fifth one in there just to be an ass and it irritates the piss out of Kurt. I say, yeah, well, you know, okay, uh, these four guys go on Mount Rushmore, but this guy's the mountain you're carving out of. Pele's the mountain you're carving soccer's Mount Rushmore out of. See, there's my cheat. So there's my fifth guy. So Pele's the the mountain you carve soccer's Mount Rushmore out of. So then you get four faces to put up there, and uh, Ronaldo's one of them, obviously Messi. And then you could make the case for a lot of guys. I kind of like Neymar. Maybe he doesn't have quite the, I don't know. I don't know. Probably sounding stupid to all you soccer fans. But uh, but anyways, I just had to put that in there just out of respect because uh, he is one of the GOATs. And uh, whether he plays soccer again, whether he's at the next World Cup, who knows. But uh, hats off to Cristiano Ronaldo. So, throughout this year on the show, whether Kurt has been with me for weeknight chronicle episodes or I've done single shots myself or I've done laundromat listenings or whatever I've done, I have always use this very small platform that we have that is growing monthly 
Thanks to all the listeners out there. And once again, shout out to our friends at After Two Beers Podcast. I will shout them out until the day there is no more podcasts. Uh, we grew exponentially over the last five months, six months because of them. And I'm very much looking forward to our next collaboration coming up in January or February. But I have always used this small platform to to put out bad, sad news that has a twist with it where I basically call out the people responsible for these bad, sad things. Okay, so what I'm getting at is uh, three days ago I thought about doing an episode and I got on here and I just kind of checked the news. And like the, the format for these Weeknight Chronicle episodes are always the same. I check ESPN. I check Bleacher Report and a couple other places. I kind of dig through and sift and see if there's anything I really feel like talking about or I let it go. Well, I came across this story two or three days ago. I seen the headline, and I didn't think nothing about it. And then tonight, as I was just sitting here at the computer for the last hour before I decided to record, I was like, you know what? I want to talk about this. And uh, I want to talk about a very abusive coach who uh, some parents are holding responsible for their son's suicide. And and uh, as you guys all well know, uh, suicide's a very hot-button issue with me. Uh, February 4th will be four years since my attempt. So I, I take mental health really fucking seriously, and uh, I've got a small platform, and if you don't want to hear this part of the episode, then, you know, I, I guess mute it or skip it, but I, I want to talk about this. So, um... So there's a college student named Brian Lilly Jr. He went to the University of California at San Diego, and he was a rower. Yes, college rower. You know the water, the boat, the row. Uh, he committed suicide. Uh, I guess it was New Year's Day of 2020. Looking at, it, I don't have the exact date here unless I scroll down. Uh, but his, his good friend, one of his best friends, a, a gentleman named Parker Kenny, uh, has opened up about this as well. Uh, they, I guess the, the day before this gentleman died, they talked about, you know, their coach and their time. Uh, I, I guess what's going on is, uh, this couple named Brenda and Brian Lilly have filed a wrongful death suit against uh, former University of California at San Diego rowing coach Jeff Bond. They followed a wrongful death suit against him and uh, Cal San Diego. And the lawsuit alleges that their coach mistreated their son so largely because he challenged uh, the coach's decision to al- allow a rower to remain on this team at the time at Cal San Diego, despite uh, severe allegations of sexual misconduct against the their son. Uh, now, they're adamant in this lawsuit that their son, Brian Lilly Jr., was verbally abused by the head coach, which led to his suicide. Excuse me, it was January 2021, so almost two years ago. Uh, the friend that I mentioned earlier, Parker Kinney, he said he witnessed the abuse multiple times. Brian, uh, Parker Kinney said a quote, I feel like they were trying to sweep this whole sexual assault allegation under the rug, and a decent amount of kids had legitimate concerns about this being. This is pretty messed up. A lot of kids didn't speak out about it. Brian spoke up about it, so Coach Bond retaliated against him. Brian's main concern was that this would harm the integrity of the rowing team, which I agreed with. Now, the defense team for Coach Bond now, uh, who uh, coached at San Diego until this past January of this year, filed a motion to dismiss the case. The defense said that Coach Bond hadn't seen Brian Lilly Jr. for nine months prior to his suicide, and the coach reached out during the pandemic lockdown to inquire whether Lilly would return to school in San Diego um, from the East Coast. Now, several of uh, Bond's former rowers from Cal Penn and Cal San Diego 
also reached out to the press in support of their coach. They said, I absolutely loved his style of coaching. Said one student, it was a great fit for young college athletes. Now, the Lilly family attorney, Nicholas Lewis, said Brian Lilly Jr. remained involved with the rowing program from home by attending regular video calls. Uh, Cal San Diego has declined to comment through a spokesman citing the pending law litigation. Uh, and then the school offered up no details when Bond uh, stepped down as head coach or left as head coach in January. Uh, the Lilly family said they are determined to save others from this kind of treatment. Uh, Brian Lilly said, this whole thing right now is to give my son a voice. He was the ultimate underdog. He was a hero. Now, what's interesting is the family said their son has never had a history of mental illness prior to rowing for University of California, San Diego. Uh, they said their teen uh, briefly underwent inpatient treatment in July, the summer of 2020 during the, the height of COVID after experiencing psychotic and schizophrenic symptoms such as paranoia and disorganized thoughts before he stabled and got into therapy. Uh, Coach Bond's defense, however, has, uh, is that they argue the coach never knew of Brian Lilly Jr.'s emotional state. Uh, now, Brian Lilly Sr. Uh, recently recalled how his son pushed him so hard, how his son had pushed himself so hard during competitions and training that uh, in February of 2020, he pushed himself so hard that he vault, uh, vomited multiple times in practice and that Coach Bond told him that only pussies throw up. Only pussies give up. Only pussies quit. And only pussies are weak. Okay, we'll, we'll get to that in a second because I know you're thinking about football here. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. Now, some rowers who competed for Coach Bond have shared similar experiences describing in which he would, uh, Coach Bond would consistently use offensive and vulgar language, uh, other put-downs, uh, homophobic slurs. Uh, Kenny said, the friend of Brian Lilly Jr., said that in March 2020, Coach yelled at him on the water for using uh, inflammatory language, using inflammatory language in support of his friendship of Lily, uh, something along the lines of, uh, it was rumored queer or something like that. Uh, Kenny said, I was paralyzed with fear. I was 18 years old. I called my dad. I was losing respect for the program. And that's about it. This is an ongoing lawsuit. And here's the point I'm going to make. Uh, Kurt and I always talk about in a lot of episodes uh, about how times have changed these days and the world's gone soft and da 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 and we miss the old days. And that's true to an extent. But if you're if you're verbally harassing your student athlete, if you were verbally harassing a 18, 19, 20 year old college kid who who is an adult, full grown adult, away at school at university, but you're supposed to be a, a, a still a figure he can trust, uh, you're a piece of shit. And I get it. I love old school football where the coach is like, you got a broken leg. Get your ass out there on the field. Put some, rub some dirt. Like, I get it. I like that hard-nosed style of shit. But there's a time when to back it off, and there's a time when to keep doing it. If you're using homophobic slurs in 2020, 2021, 2022, if you're calling two teammates gay and queer because they're they have a bond together, and one knows the other one might have some mental health going on. May like get the fuck over yourself. This dude, I would love for Coach Bond to hear this tape. He never will, but I would love for you're a fucking piece of shit, and I would say that to your face. Like you have absolutely no job being near professional athletes, collegiate athletes, high school athletes, junior high athletes, nothing. Like you should never coach again. In fact, you should be held accountable somehow and you should go on speaking engagements telling people how much of a piece of shit you are and how to better just you know maybe I'm going off on a tangent here I don't know but you know the story the headline jumped out at me three days ago I didn't really think much of it tonight I clicked on it read it and I'm like wow so uh, as always anything that I find particularly interesting newsworthy especially if the word lawsuits involved I always kind of keep my eyes on it and uh, Kurt loves callbacks, 
So if I get any more information on this, I'll pass along. But the bottom line, a, a young man is dead by his own hand at suicide, and that's tragic. But there's some clear indicators that potentially his coach is the reason for that. And that's a fucking problem with me. So, uh, I got a little bit of boxing. I don't have a lot of boxing tonight. Uh, I know I missed my recap on Tyson Fury getting back in the ring a couple weeks ago. And, you know, I missed it. Uh, you know, check the archives. Uh, there were some episodes, uh, heavy, the one entitled Boxing, Boxing, Boxing in September. And then the one, of course, in uh, August, which was the Rage on the Red Sea. You know, we had the big five, and then I talked about four additional fights before the end of the year that could lead to a big eight. Uh, anyways, you know, check that. It's good content there. But I want to point this out just because of uh, Celebrity Deathmatch and boxing. Uh, Hall of Fame referee Mills Lane uh, passed away at his Reno, Nevada home Tuesday morning. He was 85 years old. Of course, he uh, he refereed hundreds of championship bouts. He refereed other bouts. Of course, uh, the two things he's most known for would be, uh, fun fact, by the way, before I get to this, he appeared in November of 98, I think, or maybe 99 on uh, WWE television. Stone Cold Series. Dirty Curdy, you missed it. I got my pro wrestling reference in, bro. Uh Check it out. Fun fact. Google Mills Lane, WWF, Stone Cold Steve Austin, championship match, Vince McMahon, the works. It was November 98, January, February 99, somewhere in that ballpark. October, maybe September 98. I'm in the ballpark. Somewhere in that six-month period. But, uh, of course, he's most known for Celebrity Death Match and, of course, the Bite Fight. Tyson Holyfield. Was that Tyson Holyfield 1 or Tyson Holyfield 2? Uh, I don't remember what that is. But anyway, so, uh, of course, Mills and Lane, let's get it on. You can hear it right now in your mind. I know you can. I know you can hear it now that I said it. You're hearing it. I want a good, clean fight. Let's get it on. You know? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, what a, what a great ambassador for the sport professional boxing. Uh, what a great ambassador for combat sports. Um, you know. It's, uh, this is the guy I think that'll be missed by, uh, combat sports. Uh, great ambassador. He took, he took the sport seriously. He had a no nonsense attitude. Uh, he was a former United States Marine. I don't know if anybody knew that. Simplify. Uh, so, uh, he, uh, he was a boxer. He was a welterweight. Um, he won 10 consecutive fights, and in 1967, Lane, uh, Mills, <laughs> excuse me, got tongue tied. Uh, Lane retired from boxing with a professional fight record of 10 and 1. Uh, he graduated from University of Utah Law School in the 70s. Uh, and if you go back and look, he's been involved in some, some big, uh, some big moments in boxing history. Uh, Tyson's comeback win over Peter McNeely. Uh, Julius Cesar Chavez's uh, rematch with Meldrick Taylor. That was a good. That was a hell of a fight, too, by the way. Uh, Chavez and Taylor. Uh, in 98, there was the Bernard Hopkins fight with Robert Allen. The no contest uh, ejected from the ring. Uh Tommy Hearns' first round knockout of Jay Schneider. Uh, and then, of course, uh, the TV show, Judge Mills Lane, um, which ran several years. Uh, so, you know, just uh, a great ambassador uh, for the sport of boxing, a guy that will greatly be missed. Uh, it's not often you think of a referee being synonymous with a sport. But boxing, you know, anyways, I'm just rambling here. But uh, rest in peace, Mills Lane. All right, puss. I don't know if you're listening to this, my co-host or not. Uh, 
He says, checks out episodes. But he's going to have some trouble in the NL West. And I want to talk about this. Uh, I know I shit all over my Phillies. And they made the World Series. They beat, to get the World Series, in the NLCS, they beat San Diego. And what I'm, the point I'm making here is apparently, uh, and some of you are guilty of this too, we've been sleeping on the Padres. And, man, they're scary. Because, you know, free agency and everything's going on. They've got, you know, Bogarts from Boston, right? He come from Boston, didn't he? Bogarts is that. Like, the Padres roster, okay? So now you've, like, this could be a scary good team for a while. Because you've got Fernando Tatis Jr., who I'm going to come right out and say is probably one of my top five players in baseball right now, favorite guys. Uh, you got Fernando Tatis Jr. You've got Xander Bogarts. Uh, you've got Manny Machado, and you've got Juan Soto. Like, talk about some hot, hot bats. Um, now, San Diego, to the best of my knowledge, and uh, I'm going to look it up, actually. I'm going to look it up. I think they've only made two World Series appearances, maybe three. San Diego has been to the World Series twice in 1984 and 1998. 98 was the year they got spanked by the Yankees. Uh, and you know what's what else is scary is these motherfuckers made a push for Aaron Judge and didn't get him. And they also made a push for Trey Turner. And Trey Turner got signed by my Phillies, by the way. Uh, I just want to point this out. Like, if they can put it all together, if they can put this all together, this might be one of the teams to watch over the next few seasons. Like, they already made the NLCS last season. And I get a sneaky feeling, I could be wrong, that, I get a sneaky feeling that's not an outlier. So, there could potentially be some trouble in San Diego. And, you know, the, the city's loving it. That's the only professional sports franchise left there now, isn't it? So, I don't know, man. It'd be something to watch. I love talking baseball with Puss. Uh, And just look at the money they're giving here. You know, Manny Machado signed a $300 million contract in 2019. Fernando Tadis got a $340 million 14-year deal last year. And now this deal with Bogarts and... uh, Man, this team's going to be scary good. Scary good. So I got a little PP spanking being handed down by the ATP. Don't know what ATP is. That's the Association of Tennis Professionals. Uh, News coming out of London. And I I love PP spankings when people get in trouble. I just think it's fun. I, and this one's funny because this is literally going to take me like 30 seconds to talk about, but I'm going to drag it out for a few extra 30 seconders because it's, just so, it's so funny. Okay, so here I'm going to call this Dingbat 1 and Dingbat 2. These are two low-ranking on the totem pole players that we're probably never going to see the top 100, top 50 in the world. But anyway, so we got news coming out of London uh, that broke about yesterday or the day before. So there's two low-ranked French tennis players who have now been banned from the sport for life because they were found guilty of max fixing. Uh, Let's see if I can pronounce these names right. Jules Okola, a 25-year-old with a career-best ATP ranking of 338th in the world. And Mick Lescure, a 29-year-old with a top ranking of 487th overall in the world. Uh, both admitted to multiple charges, uh, according to the ITIA, which stands for the International Tennis Integrity Agency. Uh, and then the ATP spanked their PPs hard. Uh, neither player is allowed to compete or attend. They can't even go watch tennis. Like, you disgraced us enough, you can't even fucking come and watch us. So... Okolo was found guilty of seven max-fixing charges. Match-fixing charges. 
and fined fifteen thousand uh, dollars on his permanent suspension. Now the other guy, Dingbat Two, Mick Lascure, was found guilty of eight charges, and they fined him over forty thousand dollars. Now the punishments come because both players were involved in law enforcement investigations in France and Belgium. So here's the deal. You guys were never gonna be big stars, probably. I'm assuming because I've never heard of either one of you motherfuckers, just like I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast has never heard of these guys. Uh but you screwed your chance to have a you screwed yourself out of a chance to make a living playing tennis and making a little bit of money. You know, not millions of dollars, but you know, a couple thousand dollars a weekend or a week or whatever you're doing. Like you didn't fuck yourself out of all opportunities, and I just think it's funny. Uh, don't fix, don't cheat, don't skim the game. I don't give a fuck if it's hockey, if it's UFC, if it's bait, whatever it is. Don't fix the game. Don't give people a reason to distrust the sport. I think it's hilarious. I am happy to see this happen. Uh, In the words of Jim Cornette, another pro wrestling reference, thank you, fuck you, bye. So, uh, going to talk a little horse racing. I've really been getting into this. I try to I try to check out any uh, horse racing news every episode because I'm kind of really getting into this. Uh, and uh, long and behold, some news coming out of New York City in the last couple of days. Uh, so let's let's get into this. This is a this is a fucked up story. Uh, a guy by the name of Jason Service, he's a trainer. Service. S-E-R-V-I-S. Service. Uh, he's, his horse, Maximum Security, was a three-year-old champion in 2019. Uh, Service pled guilty Friday to federal charges involving a widespread scheme involving multiple people uh, in drugging horses. Yes, you heard that correct. Drugging the horses. So, service is a, he's a sixty-five-year-old trainer based in New Jersey. He's looking at four years in the federal pen, wherein he is sentenced in May in the U.S. District Court in Manhattan. Uh, he was the last defendant to face charges in this scheme, and there is now twenty-three of thirty-one individuals being investigated for this who have. Uh, Pled guilty. Service pled guilty in connection with his role in the distribution of misbranded and adulterated drugs intended for uses on the horses in his stable. Now, Damian Williams, a U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, said in a statement that service conduct represents corruption excuse me, at the highest level of the horse racing industry. As a licensed racehorse trainer, Service was bound to protect the horses under his care and to comply with the racing rules designed to ensure the safety and well-being of the horses and protect the integrity of the sport. Now, Service's attorney, a lady named Rita Glavin, she was reached for comment and declined to respond. Now, service was charged two years ago back in 2020 after a wide-ranging invest- investigation into doping ongoing in the horse racing industry. Uh, the powers that be in the horse racing f- industry suspended his trainer's license. Now, his horse, Maximum Security, won the Kentucky Derby in 2019, but was disqualified for interference during the running of the race. We all remember that. We all seen the clip of it. The Colt would end up finishing first in the $10 million Saudi Cup. There you go. There's that Saudi blood money. I got to work one of those in every episode. Now, his horse would finish first, uh, like I said, get disqualified, and then he would finish of the Derby, and then he would finish first in the Saudi Cup before service was arrested in March 2020. Now, the Saudi officials later withheld the winner's share of the purse, citing service's arrest and indictment. Now, Kentucky Derby winning trainer Graham Motion tweeted the other day, I don't take any solace in other people's misery 
actually quite the opposite. I feel some empathy for them. But the reality is that those of us who were beaten by Jason Service's horses have little to show for it other than losing money, owners, and horses due to his success. Now, another New Jersey-based trainer, Jorge Navarro, is currently serving a five-year rip for pleading guilty last year. Eleven of the defendants who have been charged and pled guilty were trainers and seven were actual veterinarians. Now, Service is the brother of John Service, who trained Smarty Jones, uh, who would win the 2004 Kentucky Derby in the Preakness before losing the Triple Crown bid at Belmont. So here we go again. I love PP Spankins. That might be the title of this episode. Weeknight Chronicles number whatever. PP Spankins. That might be what it be because we're getting PP Spankins in horse racing. We're getting PP Spankins in tennis. So we just and a PP Spankin that I verbally issued to the head coach of or the former head coach of uh, UCAL San Diego's uh, rowing team. So. Man, this just goes back to what I'm talking about, dude. Like, you got to protect the integrity of your sport. When shit like this goes on, it makes people look at your sport with a cross eye. And in bad light. Like, not only are you fucking yourself when you get caught, but you're fucking other people. Because maybe ratings are going to tank. If ratings tank... People aren't going to buy tickets. If people aren't buying tickets to come to the show, they're not like, you know what I'm saying? Like, this affects more than just, you know. That's why I love sports when youth are involved, because it's still real then. It's not all about corruption. It's not all about money. It's just, anyways. I'm on I'm on Monday night, I guess. So we're going to touch on uh, some like today, like just within the last couple of hours, recent news. Uh, and it's also going to be a callback to uh, one of the full-length current events episodes Kurt and I did not that long ago. Uh, Raul Rosas Jr., the kid who just turned 18 a couple months ago. This was the dude that was wowing judges and, and uh, wowing everybody and impressed Dana White on the Dana White Contender Series. Uh, he just turned 18 a couple months ago. He had his first official UFC fight tonight, uh, at UFC 282. Uh, he fought in the prelims against Jay Perrin and got a first round submission in the Bantamweight division. Uh, you know, this is the kid I talked about. He was born in Mexico, raised in New Mexico and Cali. He signed off on Dana White's contender series when he was 17 uh, wowed everybody, won everybody, beat everybody. Dana White gave him the contract, and then tonight in his first official fight, uh, he's two months past eighteen, and he stepped into the octagon on the prelims, uh, bantamweight, one hundred thirty-five pound division. Gotta love bantamweight fights, man. I think back to about ten, eleven years ago, Uriah Faber. The California kid, Uriah Faber and Dominic Cruz, 135-pound bantamweights. God almighty, I miss UFC. Was, UFC I haven't watched a lot of in the last few years, but, man, a decade ago it was hot. And they're on, they are on this, you know, 15-plus-year run of just, you know, they knocked boxing down to third. You know, pro wrestling, MMA, boxing. But, anyways, Rojas just – uh. Two minutes and 44 seconds round one, rear naked choke. Now, if you've seen any highlights of this kid, or you haven't, he's uh, he's a wrestler. That's what I call him, a wrestler. He likes to he likes to get the mat. He likes to get the fight on the on the mat. And uh, slapped in a rear naked choke. Parent tapped out. And uh, congratulations to this kid. Uh, he's got a big future for him, no doubt about it. And I like to see where he goes from there. He might own this bantamweight division. Uh, a little bit of feel good story here, uh, maybe even two of them, depending on how I segue this. But uh, the Nike Hoop Summit is uh, is making some news here by adding a women's game for the first time ever. Uh, this is the tournament that's. Uh, uh, 
uh, it'll be held in Portland in April. USA Basketball announced that this is the event that you hear about that goes on every April, May-ish, March-ish. This is what pits uh, top U.S. high school players against a team of international players from ages like 19 and under. And USA Basketball announced uh, yesterday that they are going to add a women's game. Uh, USA Basketball CEO Jim Tooley said, quote, The Nike Hoop Summit has been a great event to showcase the USA's top talent against the world's top talent on an annual basis. With the addition of a women's game for the first time in history, there is another opportunity for our top women's players to compete on an international stage, which I think is just fucking fantastic. We're all about this Me Too, this women's movement in the last few years and equality, and when it comes to sports, I just think this is absolutely phenomenal. Now, the summit goes back to my days, to, to, to my um, youth uh, in the mid-90s. Uh, and there's been some some num- number one overall picks that's played in this summit. You know, Zion, Cade Cunningham, uh, DeAndre Ayton, who I think is still one of the best big men in the league. Uh, ben Simmons has played there. Carl Anthony Towns, Wiggins, Anthony Bennett, who fucking flopped. Uh, AD was there. Kyrie was there. John Wall, Derrick Rose, Elton Brand. Uh, Kevin Garnett's been there. Dirk, Parker, my guy, Shane Battier. Love me some Shane Battier. Uh, Garnett, Durant, Kevin Love, Tatum, uh, Bradley Beal, Tyler Hero. Um, now, the USA has won 16 of the 23 games played today. Uh, expect USA Basketball to start releasing the names and formatting the rosters. Over the coming weeks, I know this isn't a lot of news wrapped in this, but I just think it's phenomenal that uh, female high school athletes are getting a chance to to do. Like, I just think this is great. That's that's awesome. I can't stress that enough. And then, of course, I guess we'll go ahead and segue into it. Uh, I'll touch on it just briefly. And that, of course, is uh, the news about Brittany Griner. Um, She's home. We we try not to get political on this podcast. We've talked about Griner at length in uh, several episodes, uh, and, and even a, we talked about Griner at length in a full length uh, uh, current events episode back in the summer, back in August, I believe it was. Check our archives. Uh, however you feel about her opinions on, you know, the national anthem and Black Lives Matter and taking a knee and all this shit, I could give a fuck less what your opinion is. I don't, I'm not going to say mine. Uh, I'm thankful we have an American home. Uh, but now, (laughs) I, I don't know. Um. Of course, social media is lit up in the last couple of days. They're like, well, if they're going to bring her home and this was a marijuana fence, then every marijuana fence in our country by our own government needs to be erased. And that's a whole other issue with legislation and everything. I'm not going to get into it. Uh, she's home. Uh, she's reunited with her wife. Uh, and I still say to this day, uh, whatever, whatever it was, 2011, I think it was 2012 uh, national championship game, Baylor versus Notre Dame, Skylar Diggins versus Brittany Griner. Probably one of the top 10 basketball games I've watched. It, it was, it was amazing. Uh, con- congratulations to, to Brittany. I mean, like I said, however you feel about her, she was wrongfully incarcerated. It was a pissing contest between two countries. It was a political thing. She's home now. Uh, and that's great for her. Uh, we traded her for a fucking Russian arms dealer. Uh, and the memes, by the way, however you feel, if you don't have a sense of humor in this life, you can go fuck yourself. But the the memes coming out of this uh, prisoner swap are next level. I will say that. Uh, they are hilarious. Uh, I, you know, I've seen them all. Like, this is the worst trade Ever. My favorite meme out of this is was this is the first time 
in history anybody has ever paid attention to a WNBA trade. I'm like, wow. But uh, regardless how you feel, uh, you know, we did bring a professional athlete home that was wrongfully incarcerated. Uh, So that's good news. But one final thing I want to I want to point out about this Griner Brittany Griner issue, since we're on the subject of women's basketball, we're going to do a third segue here, kind of. Uh, the WNBA commissioner Kathy Engelbert uh, basically came out after the the announcement that Griner was released and coming home. Uh, she made the announcement that the WNBA will continue to support. Uh, their players and their decisions on whether they want to play overseas or not, but they're gonna they're gonna advise them on safety issues. So, in my mind, it's kind of like, hey, you want to go over and earn some extra cash playing overseas in Russia? Hey, that's fine. Uh, maybe leave the marijuana at home. Uh, you know, we all know about uh, this whole women's equality thing in the last decade has really exploded, and, and rightfully it should. Women are vastly underpaid and underappreciated across this country, uh, especially when it comes to professional sports. Women are vastly underpaid. A lot of these women don't make enough during the year. They really don't. That's why they're going overseas and playing in these other leagues and stuff during the WNBA offseason for extra money. Uh, and, you know, what happened with Brittany, you know, is a fucked up thing. But, I mean, she went over there point blank for more money. And they're going to continue to win. Let the women do it. Um, I guess they're just going to caution them a lot more on what not to do. And, you know, obviously, uh, Griner's going to be used as an example from now on. So, but hey, you know, the main segue, uh, Griner's home. So I guess at the end of the day, it's all that matters, right? So, another part of my childhood, or my teenage years, is, could potentially be coming to an end, and that's the Kevin Harvick, NASCAR. Uh, he's, he's been debating on whether 2023 is going to be his last year as a full-time driver. Uh, he was recently asked about it uh, this past week. And he said that he'll know the answer uh, before the season opener, which is the biggest race in NASCAR, the Daytona 500. How weird is that, that you basically have your sports Super Bowl as the first event of the year? Like, isn't that fucking weird? I've never understood that. Uh, When asked about it, though, Harvick said, I don't really have a clear answer right now. I think as we get to Daytona, I know 100% that we will have a direction because I'm not going to start the season without knowing that direction, just because of the fact that there's a lot of layers to unfold and really go through and evaluate. And so we'll see. I think it could go either way at this particular point. Now, uh, Gene Haas, uh, who co-owns Stewart Haas Racing with Tony Haas, Haas said back in October that Harvick had indicated he didn't plan to drive after his contract expires at the end of the 2023 season. Now, Haas said that he wants Harvick to sign an extension and return to the team. Now, Harvick's no slouch. Uh, he he won his only cup title in his first year with Stuart Harvick's racing. And for those of you that don't remember, um, he spent the first 13 years of his career with Richard Childress Racing. And 2023 will be now his 10th season with Stuart Haas. Harvick was the one that raced the number 29 GM Goodrich Chevrolet. Uh, after Earnhardt passed away in the 2001 season, they took the number three off the car, put a number 29 on the car. Harvick stepped in to race that season for uh, RCR and then would stay there for uh, till 2011-ish, 12-ish. Now, Harvick's, gonna, uh, Harvick's 47 years old. He's got 60 career cup wins. That include a Daytona 500, a Coca-Cola 600 at Charlotte, a Brickyard 400, and a Southern 500, which, uh, Southern 500, that's Tyler Dagger, Darlington. Anyways, uh, this past season, 
at the Michigan race, uh, Harvick snapped a 65 race winless streak, which is the second longest drought of his career. Uh, but Harvick's kind of expanded his interests over the last decade. Uh, uh, he's thoroughly invested in building the career of his 10 year old son, Keelan, who's getting into racing. Now, uh, back in my day as a teenager and as a child, it was called the Bush Grand National Series. It's now called the Xfinity Cup. Harvick, uh, won the Xfinity Cup in 2001 and 2006. Uh, so his rookie year in 2001, he was racing Sundays for RCR and then racing the Xfinity Cup on Saturdays. Uh, so he's got 47, uh, career Xfinity Cup wins. Uh, he's also got 14 truck series races, uh, victories. So, uh, I can't say nothing bad about Harvick. He's been a, he's been a joy to watch over the years. He keeps things exciting. Uh, I love when drivers lose their temper, man. Good God, Tyson, Tyson. I know we get excited about fights on skates. You're punching people, and you've literally got knives on your feet. But I get excited when you see cars running around the track at 180 miles an hour, and two guys get out and start throwing fists on the apron of the track. That gets me excited. I don't know any man that wouldn't enjoy. Watching that. So, uh, regardless of whether Harvick comes back or 2023 is his final year or he makes a decision to go part time racing only a handful of races a year, whatever the case, uh, it's been a pleasure to watch him. He's earned whatever decision he's made. Uh, so, yeah. All right, so I guess the last thing we're going to touch on tonight is the uh, the shit show that was Monday Night Football with the Saints and the Buccaneers and these half a million dollar fines that are coming down from the NFL. So I don't know if you guys know this or not. Let me refresh your memory. Uh I didn't watch Monday Night Football. What was I doing Monday Night? I don't matter. I I have I don't think I've watched maybe only three or four games this season. I've been terrible this year. I've just been so busy with work and the podcasts, research and everything that I have not sat down and watched very many football games this year. But anyways, Monday Night Football uh, this past Monday night, Saints, uh, Buccaneers, Monday Night Football. Uh, several of the New Orleans Saints. Coaches and one of the nastiest defensive ends I've seen, uh, Cameron Jordan, were fined more than a half a million dollars for faking an injury during the team's uh, losing effort to Tampa Bay. So, here, so we're going to break this down the best we can here. So the Saints were fined three hundred fifty thousand dollars. Saints head coach Dennis Allen was found a hundred thousand dollars. Co-defensive coordinator Ryan Nielsen was found $50,000, and Cameron Jordan was fined $50,000 for their roles in the fourth quarter delay of game. All parties are going to obviously appeal their fines. Uh, And then, that's why I love social media, man. The things that get put out there, these athletes today, no fucks given. Cameron Jordan took on his Twitter account uh, today. And said most expensive fine to date from the NFL came yesterday. And then an hour later, he put out a second tweet. He said, the agent told me about it. And initially, I was like, that's ridiculous. Clearly aggravated something. Then he told me how much the fine was. And I've been irked since. So, now, obviously... The Saints have come out and denied the NFL's uh, opinion that uh, this was a fake injury. Uh, They released a statement this morning, or it might have been Friday evening, either one. The New Orleans Saints deny any allegations of purposely delaying the game on Monday evening. Defensive end Cameron Jordan felt foot pain following a third down play and sought obvious medical attention. 
He entered the blue medical tent and was examined by the medical staff, and following the examination, he was taped and able to finish the game. He had an MRI performed the following day once in New Orleans, and he was, and was confirmed that he suffered an acute midfoot sprain in his left foot. He has been at the facility each day receiving treatment for his injury he suffered on the play. The Saints will appeal the fines through the proper channels and believe the allegations will be proved incorrect. So now what this is, if you want to hop in your Google machine and see if you can find the footage of it or get on your NFL network, uh, the Buccaneers were facing a third and 17 in the fourth corner. They were trailing 16 to three. Uh, Jordan rushed Tom Brady and hit the ground as he tried to sack him. He quickly got back up, walked a few steps, and looked at the sideline, then went down on one knee, pointing to his leg as Brady stayed on the field on fourth down. Now, Brady initially looked like he was going to try to go for it on fourth down as Jordan left the field with athletic trainers and went to the sideline, but then they ended up punting the ball away. You know, and then Jordan goes into the tent, uh, but he did come back into the game, re-entering the game four plays later, uh, or four plays into the, the Bucks' next offensive drive. Now, Jordan told ESPN that the injury in question was real and that he initially thought he could hobble off, but he took a knee when he felt like it couldn't. he couldn't push off with his left foot. He later said he felt okay after getting up and walking off. Now, Jordan continued on Twitter. He goes, are fines made by NFL open to public? I just feel like this should be public knowledge. Because some of the fines are silly, but this one, ridiculous. Anyways, and for what a deliberate action to delay game before a team punts, NFL just wanted a new, uh, I don't know what he said here. NFL just wanted a new Aquanaut or something. Definitely not me. So, anyways, I, I just think it's funny. Like, okay, uh, Kurt and I have talked about this before off air about shenanigans. Do I think Cameron Jordan was faking this? No, because I hate Tom Brady. <laughs> but seriously, do I think he was faking this? Absolutely not. I think he, you know, was being smart about it. Do I think players do that? Oh, God, all the time. All the time. Why not fake an injury? It stops the game. Professional wrestling. Classic move. Even I know it's professional wrestling. It's scripted. The guys get the shit beat out of him. The heel, what does he do? He rolls out of the ring. Take a breather. What happens? Match kind of stops as the referees, you know, starting to count, and you get a 10 count to get your back. I mean, it's... Same thing. Do I think it happens all the fucking time? Do I think that's what this was? Absolutely not. I think he was. I think he was uh, legitimately hurt or thought he was hurt. Uh, and the NFL, it's just it's it's a money grab. That's that's what it is. It is a money grab and nothing else. Um. So yeah, I just think it's funny, and I I love it, dude. I love social media when, especially when things like this happen and these big time, high paid millionaire athletes take to social media to air their grievances. I fucking love that shit, man. Love it. We need more of that. We need more of these. It's comical to me. It's <laughs> you know. Alright guys, and so last thing here, uh, I'm just going to kind of talk about the podcast for a few minutes here, what's coming up and thing. I think I did this before recently, I can't remember if I did or not. Uh, we're in December now, um, you know, we started this podcast a year and a half ago, May 2021, uh, we didn't put out much content in December, uh, Last year, and then January this year, we didn't put out much content either. That's when I had COVID, we, and then we had some production problems. We might have had one or two episodes in January. Uh, hopefully, we do better this month and uh, start next year. Some things that's going on. Uh, I'm going to start working on a new show open because I feel like I feel like that's something I want to change every 
at least once or twice a year, so at least every six months to a year. So I'm going to start working on a new show open. That that also gives me a reason to just, you know, fucking bog down in bed with my earbuds blasting and just uh, dry hump Spotify all night till I find something cool that I want to rip an instrumental for, for a show open. Uh, start working on a script. Like I said, in a perfect world, and if I had uh, a little bit more high-end technology... I would start uploading multiple episodes into the studio file and I would just rip uh, different points of audio from the podcast and uh, put it all together nicely packaged as a show open. That takes a lot of work. That's a little bit more tech savvy than I am. So I just write scripts. You know, just uh, I say something, Kurt says something. I say something, Kurt says something. Uh, So I'm going to start working on that. Uh, what's coming for the future episodes. Uh, I don't know what our December schedule is going to look like. I haven't talked with Kurt. Uh, ideally, technically, we probably should have recorded together tonight, but I had other plans, and then they canceled, and I uh, just spent all night at home watching True Crime like a loser. Uh, I would, if we, I would like to roll out Killdozer before the end of the year. We've got three weeks left to go in the year. Uh, if we can get Killdozer done, that's great. Uh, obviously, next year is going to be there's going to be a lot of World Series coverage. I'm shooting for I'm shooting for at least ten World Series episodes next year. Uh, and as I said, I've been working on this project to start on this year. I'm going year by year in five and ten year intervals. So, uh, of course, you know we might pick a random World Series, but of course, I'm going to try to do anniversary series throughout the whole year. So it would be uh, any World Series ending in a three or an eight. Uh, and then uh, I think the very next episode we do, if we can bang out two more episodes this year, one will be one will be Killdozer. And uh, Kurt and I have looked, we looked at the overall product and um, I've made mention of Kurt uh, via tech, and that's the thing, I miss working with Kurt, man, because we were saying to Par, but man, we could talk about the podcast all day and talk sports, bounce ideas off, now that I don't see him anymore, uh, that doesn't happen as much, but I had sent him a text the other day, I would really like to start covering, or not cover, we need to cover some college basketball, we have zero college basketball episodes in the can, uh, so uh, the other night I sat here at my computer at three o'clock in the morning here at my home office. Uh, and I was just looking at, you know, great feel good moments and feel good college basketball stories throughout the years. And I found some good ones. Uh, Georgetown's dominance. Of course, I love the fab five, you know, Ray Jackson, Jimmy King, Jalen Rose, uh, John Howard, my boy, Chris Weber, uh, fab four. We looked at Jimmy V's, you know, the 83, uh, NC state Wolfpack. So, and basically I'm hoping that, uh, 2023 is our best year so far. Uh, I'm super excited about the content to come out. Uh, we're going to keep doing more weeknight chronicle episodes. Uh, Tyson, I know you're listening. Uh, you and I are going to be doing, uh, a lot of hockey stuff. I'd like to do at least a hockey episode with you a month and, uh, do some hockey off season talk. Uh, I'm going to try to convince Kurt that we do a pro wrestling episode again. And, uh, of course our collaborations with after two beers podcast will be coming up. Um, that's going to be super fun. But as always, I just want to take the time here to to thank everybody uh, for the podcast. I know we're not to the end of the year yet. We got three weeks left to go in 2022. But uh, just the the amount of attention that we've received uh, since July. July we had 207 downloads. August 222. September 190. October 328. Last month 107. And before that, we were averaging like maybe 40 to 50 downloads a month. So, anyways. So, all right, guys, that's going to wrap up a uh, impromptu solo shot uh, of the Weeknight Chronicles. 
Uh, no Kirk Kelly. It's 1 a.m. His, his big ass is sleeping. So for the absent Kirk Kelly, <laughs> I am your host, Jared Atkins. This has been an awesome episode. Well, I guess I, I can't call it awesome. I guess that's up to you guys. Uh, like us on Facebook, guys. Send us a message. Like us on Twitter. You can find us on Twitter at STSB underscore podcast. You can search Steel Toes with Scoreboards on Facebook. And as always, we appreciate your support. Uh, Spotify Wrapped for Podcasters showed that uh, we've got some dedicated listeners who chime in to us strictly through pod, uh, Spotify. So we appreciate that. We appreciate you wherever you get your podcasts. Stitcher, Podbay, Podchaser, Amazon Alexa, uh, Audible, Player, uh, iHeartRadio, of course through Podbean, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever we appreciate you guys. We love you guys, and we will talk to you guys next time. I'm not